Okay, uh, sorry about the delay, folks. Uh, bit of a problem with the broadcasting software. Nothing new here. Uh, 23rd of April 2015, uh, we have a guest, Alan Watt. And I've got a bit of an echo here, but uh, we'll just persevere with it. You there, Alan? Yes, I'm here, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's funny, we were going to discuss the, the fact that um, we're living in a kind of Brazil movie. Uh, here you are with uh, technical assistant. Uh, you had technical problems with your phone. Uh, we've taken six weeks to get a gas stove connected, uh, three visits by the by the gas board, three visits from city inspectors, three visits from plumbers. Uh, you know, you're, you're sitting watching eight or nine people, uh, one person with a spade looking down a hole, and uh, the rest of them just watching and nothing getting done. Uh, they sat on our uh, outside on our lawn for the lunch for about an hour. I, I don't know what they were doing. They're just sitting about doing nothing. But uh, it's it's incredible. Um, you, you can't get anything done properly in today's certainly in the Western society. I mean, I've I've spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, and at least at least there you can actually physically go to the offices and speak to people. Yeah. But here it's just it's all done on the phone. It's all automated, and uh, you can't get to speak to anybody. Um, yeah. What what's the kind of genesis of all this kind of stuff? Where, where did this come from? It, it came from the big big movements that were forming before World War One. And the big um, groups like the, the Lord Alfred Milner Group in London that created the Royal Institute of International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations and Trilaterals and so on, they wanted a world where um, experts would rule it. That was a problem. And uh, they also believed that to bring in such a world, they would need world wars, they would need high technology. Uh, they brought in a whole system which was called um, technocracy, in fact, to manage all of this and to train and so on. And they believed to expand all government departments into every aspect of social behavior and control from education, but also to do with um, what was called in the early days time in motion, where they'd have experts who would study factories, workers, and how to do things faster, more efficiently, and so on. And they used all of these techniques initially and what you got out of that was World War One, the biggest slaughter of all, this incredible slaughter. Where the technology had certainly advanced, the systems of supply had certainly advanced, and there was no shortage of, of massive rounds to fire over the battlefields and so on. But um, they, they, they eventually put that whole system into managing society as a whole, and they incorporated a form of collectivism, but everything was to be run by experts, and, and gradually the, the whole idea of small business, and I, I emphasize small business, was to be eliminated altogether. That's still the same today. All the big businesses now are literally that. They're big international corporations. And as they bring in a global system, they've incorporated um, what they call offsourcing uh, many of the jobs that used to be done locally with offices and so on abroad. I mean, even the U.S. and Canada, your taxes, your taxes annually are, are done in India, for those who don't know it. And... Um, and the big corporations that they've handed it to uh, are involved in the military-industrial complex, but they, they actually farm it out over to India and they do your taxes. But they do the same with the phone systems and most of the internet systems uh, and so on. Uh, so you're, you, what happens is you merge the so-called emerging countries or third-world countries with the first-world countries or ex-first-world countries, which we are now. You, you, you get this levelling. If we come down, they come up to a certain extent, but we're still almost third world. We become third world in, in how things actually are managed by uh, all these so-called experts and special departments and so on. 
and we adapt as we go along into it until folk think nothing about spending a week on the phone, like I did, to folk in India, different ones every 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 day. I just phone up and ask them what was happening here, and of course they haven't a clue. And I've, I don't know if you've been in India, have you? Have you been over there? Yeah, well, in India, you know, you can wait in a train station sometimes for the trainers to come at 3.30 in the afternoon, and it doesn't appear. And the station manager will come up, and he's all smiles, and, and he'll give this long story and so on, but he'll say, oh, I'll be here any time, don't worry. And, and so you, come midnight, you're all sleeping on the platform. It might come three days later, but I mean, that, that's how it is in India, and they think nothing of it over there. Well, now you're getting the same system brought over here because they've outsourced all of the... The, the so-called um, customer representation over in India to put it so darn cheap for the big corporations and your governments to, to farm it out over there. But so you end up falling behind here. I mean, literally, I've had my phone out every year when it rains heavy for the first time after the, the winter. Um, something always shorts out somewhere in the lines. The same guy came every year and fixed it, no problem at all, the next day. Uh, but this time, a whole week went by until eventually they sent out the same guy to fix it. And of course, he phoned me up the very last day, seven days later, and says, I've, I've done it, I found where the, where the, the short was. Uh, but that's how, it's, what's, what's the point in even having them in India if they don't know, know what's even happening? I mean, they don't know what's happening in India, you know. But they'll tell you all these fanciful stories, each one's very inventive, um, and, and that's how they are in India, that's how they, they talk to their own customers, you know. That's traditional. Yeah, I mean, it's funny as you say that. I've had my own experience, as I'm sure many people in the UK, certainly in the States and Canada, you, you phone up and you get somebody who, I mean, it's it's no, you know, it's no insult to them, but they can barely speak English and you can barely understand what they're saying. And then, and, and then they've got the kind of, they come back at you and say, I can't understand what you're saying. I mean, That's why I had the same problem, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's, I think, I've heard you mention before, it's called the age of frustration. Yes. And and that's the way it is. I mean, I, I had the same problem in the the last house we were in with the internet, and I think it was eight eight phone calls to the internet company uh, a couple of times every month, just trying to get a cost out of them about what a, you know questioning the bill, <laughs> yes. and you get the same per- uh, sorry a different person every time you phone up. You have to go through the whole story the whole again, again. Yeah. and and the more phone calls you make, the more the longer the story gets each time, and and you get nowhere. And, and in the and uh, they just send out a bill and it's wrong and you have to start the whole process again. That's correct. But the, the, now, now these phones are so screwy because there, there's less and less people involved in maintaining the systems, actual people. And the first excuse I got from India, no, the second excuse, the, the, the second or third day, um, was that there's a self-monitoring system now in the phone lines to detect faults. And the, the system that detects faults was causing the problems. That's what they claimed initially. And But don't worry, it had fixed itself. I mean, so this computer had fixed itself, you know. And I thought, what? You know, nonsense. I've got a short on the phone line. I, 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 I've got more experience than you do. <laughs> you know, I live here. And uh, I had every excuse under the sun. But th- this fault in the phone line in their supercomputer monitoring system had dialed 911, actually. Uh, on the day that I went down, and the police turned up here and asked me if there were any problems. I says, no, I says, any problems with the phone? I says, not so far, but that night the phone was out altogether. So the whole system had been going down, obviously, in my area, or this this particular line, and I was giving false calls out and everything else. So, I mean, you can take that scenario with the police turning up, 
put into the U.S. system, and they probably had a SWAT team turning up here. You know what I'm saying? And you'd be like uh, the, the movie Brazil, where they go after the guy Tuttle, they got the name wrong, and 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 the SWAT team comes and grabs him, and that's the last you ever hear. This guy has disappeared from from view. Uh, and um, that's where we're getting to today. The police were awfully nice about it, but they seemed to know something that I didn't. There were some problems with the lines or something. But, um, but yeah, a system that, that's actually um, causing the problem, supposedly, wasn't the problem at all, at least maybe one part. The other part was the usual thing. It was, it was corroded connections along the line to the, to the main uh, junction box up in the main road. So that's... Yeah, yeah I mean, the thing is with the... This gas line, we had to, obviously we had to get the gas in from the main street, which is, you know, you have to get to experts if you want to use that word to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so the meter's sitting outside the wall, and all it takes is to connect a pipe between there and the and the stove. Yeah. And uh, we've got uh, Home Depot down here, uh, one of the DIY stores. Now, it's a DIY store. It sells it sells a gas line, um, but I'm not allowed to buy it because I'm not a licensed contractor. I'm not yeah. even allowed to buy the pipe. That's right. Never mind fit it. Uh, and, and we get the plumbers come along, give us a quote, you know, over overblown as usual. Um, and they've been three times because the first two fine times they fixed it incorrectly. Yes. And and they've got the license. I mean, I, I yeah. could have I could have fitted it incorrectly. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. what, what difference would that have made? At least I'd save myself a bit of money. But uh, yeah, you're not even allowed to do that. No, no, and, and they're getting worse and worse now with all the laws and regulations. The whole idea is to take all independence away from the individual. You understand in this whole. System, this global system we're into, and those who helped design the system back in the 1930s wrote about this. They had a manifesto for it, and um, they wrote about that where the, all power for the individual would be taken away, and every part of their, their, his or her life would be managed from birth to death by the experts. So you'd be de- totally dependent on the system uh, for everything that you need for for survival throughout your whole life. That's where we're going right now. In fact, we're almost we're pretty well almost there. In fact, if you if your jet you get little screwing jets into these gas stoves, you know, and if they go, and the same with the thermometer, the internal thermometer, uh, if, if it goes, you're not allowed to take the old one out yourself. All you do is unscrew it, uh, and because you can't buy the new one without a license, it's a little screw thing. You know, it's just very simple to put in. You know. So you're not allowed to do it because that'll be that'll be breaking the law. Yeah, my friend Joe, um, who you're familiar with uh, over in Ireland, he uh, he went to a recycling place, and they had these um, old washing machines, and he wanted to take the drum out to put in the garden to grow um, uh, some herbs and stop you know stop the things spreading and stuff. And he wanted to take a hole and put this uh, the drum from the washing machine, and the guy said to him, "Well, you can't have that. that that's electrical." Mm-hmm. And he said, "I only want the drum." He says, "No, no, you can't. You can't touch that. That's electrical. It's a broken washing machine." Uh-huh, yeah. You know, and he can't even yeah. touch it. It's not plugged in, nothing. No. And um, I mean, again, it's you've talked about uh, learned helplessness before, and mm-hmm. this comes with the frustration and you needing to to go to all these people to get anything done whatsoever. Uh, you know, whether it be you know changing a washer in your tap. I mean, how how ridiculous is it going to get? Yeah, yeah. But you're right. But you need about ten forms to fill in. Probably one to local government, one to the some other ministry of this or ministry of that, and. Uh, and again, uh, one suspect, and as well for the company that comes out to do it for you, it's going to be ridiculous. Well, it already is actually in a lot of things. You sign this, sign that, sign that. You have no idea what you're signing. Yeah, well, in, in Eastern Europe, as it is there, if uh, your form doesn't have a stamp on it, 
they just turn you away. So you, you need to come back. You need to go to such and such a yeah. place to get the stamp on it. And, <laughs> it, it, and it can't be a photocopy. It has to be the original one. And uh, it takes uh, a whole day there to just yeah. register your car. Oh, uh, yeah. You go into an office and there's a big long desk, you know, and there's about six people sitting at it. And you have to go to each one or mm-hmm. each separate little piece. And then they send you to the bank to, to yeah. pay a tax on it. You have to go to the bank and then come back with the form stamped. Then you have to take that form to the registration place and wait in a queue for two hours or something. Um, if, if, you're, if you're at the door, uh, the window thing, and it, the clock strikes lunchtime, forget it. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. it's just shut it and that's it and you're, you're gone. You have to wait another two hours uh, while they have their lunch or whatever. And, and then you have to go from there back to the bank uh, to prove you've registered the car and then you have to go and pay another tax at a different bank mm-hmm. and it takes you the whole day. Um, yeah. But if you want a registration plate, it's even worse. It, it can take weeks. You have to, they've got this big long street outside the uh, the office where, where, I, where I normally go. And you have to just park your car in the queue and yeah. uh, go back every day and see how far down the queue it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the thing about Brazil is like the form filling. It was... You know, that's, it was all about form filling. It wasn't about doing anything. It was keeping yeah. the bureaucracy ticking over. It's to get worse and worse, you know, because the United Nations is the, the big uh, uh, master uh, for, for all these umbrella groups to, be, to go under, for, uh, whether it's the top banking with the IMF and so on. It's all one system that was designed to bring in this complete system. And they have now departments of... Uh, Land inspection, uh, you can't do anything in your home now. Everything, all the laws actually do with, with what you're doing right now with your stove, and that comes from the United Nations, if you don't know that. And it's implemented in the US and Canada and elsewhere. All building codes. And now if you want to even replace a septic tank or something, you've got again the same problem. You've got to go and see the ecological survey department. They have to send a guy, you pay for that naturally. And he'll say, yes, you can replace it or you can't replace it. And then you pay a big, massive fee. And then they get the engineering department out to see if they can. It's going to fit in the same damn hole, for God's sake, in the same pipes. And, and it doesn't matter. It's fee, 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 license, license, license. And the, before they're allowed to even go and buy the thing, you can't buy the thing without all these permits and licenses and studies that have been done. And the whole idea eventually puts you off. Or, 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 or breaks you financially, and you've got to move into the big city and start renting. That's what they want in, in Agenda 21, you see. That was planned a long time ago. Yeah. Well, we're actually living in a kind of, you know, not semi-rural, but it's a, it's a city, but it's a small city, and we're kind of off the beaten track a little bit. But, um, you know, it's the, the city has to come out and do this, that, and the next thing. And even, even trying to phone them up to yeah. actually get a, a gas installation put in, it mm-hmm. took about three weeks yeah, yeah. And you can't, you couldn't get the woman on the phone, and she was supposed to be the sales manager, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't if they get paid a performance, but uh, I can't imagine she was doing much. Uh, you, you can't even get on the phone. But um, and the she, she actually came back three or four times and kept going on about this propane tank, which I'd never mentioned. You know, I said, well, you you need to get that propane tank installed, such and such place, blah blah. blah. I said, I'm, I'm talking about mains gas here, not not uh, propane. Oh, right, okay. Well, um, they'll need to come out and survey where they want to put the tank. It wasn't even listening to what I was saying. No, they're not. No, no, they're, they're like machines themselves, you know, and and they treat to they treat you like some non-entity. Uh, and when you, once you're into that bureaucratic mindset, and corporations have them too, they have their own massive bureaucracies. That's why they intermesh with all governments quite easily. 
but they, 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 they behave like machines, and you're, you're nothing. What, what would you know anyway? You, you, to them, you're, you're, not, you're, a sub, you're, you're beneath a subject, even, uh, as they, in their eyes. They don't see you as an equal, and so they don't listen to you at all. And when they screw up your whole life for maybe weeks or months, they don't care either. It doesn't matter to them. It doesn't even dawn on them, you know. No, so as long as they're all right, Jack, as it were. Yeah. Um, I heard the, the, the part of the Green Party in the UK's manifesto was that we're going to create one million more government jobs. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, that says it all. It's coming from the Green Party, yeah? yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, know, I know you said it's, it's going to get so ridiculous that we will be put off doing anything. So, I mean... Are we, are we going to see it like the Robert De Niro character in the, in the movie Brazil, where there's going to be vigilante tradesmen, um, you know, touting for business on the black market kind of thing? Well, well you, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you look at how the Soviet Union was run, uh, everything would have come to a standstill if it wasn't for the black market in the big cities. Uh, and there was lots of guys uh, selling gasoline, um, uh, uh, you know, undercover sort of thing to try and, and to keep the economy going and make a fantastic profit. It got so bad in the Soviet Union that towards the end, before they, they, they just merged into the West, uh, the trains had to be on the go all the time for efficiency's sake, even if they were carrying nothing. Whole long trains, you know, carrying nothing, as long as the schedule was kept. And the taxi drivers could only do so many kilometers a month in the main cities like Moscow. And once you hit that, that quota, the guys had to jack up their taxis and turn back their dormitories in order to get gasoline, and they couldn't get it. You weren't allowed to get it if you reached your quota for the month. Uh, so that's, that's how, it, it, to survive, uh, you get a big, massive black market and tradesmen and so on all flourishing. Yeah, yeah the, the taxi drivers in, in Bulgaria certainly don't like turning a meter on, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you, you basically get in the taxi there and say, how much is it to go there? And they'll say... Well, X amount of money and you go, come on, you know, uh, yeah. and, and you have to haggle with them, basically, to, to get the proper fare, but um, once once the, you speak a bit of the language, you realise that you're no, you're no mug and they'll do it, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll try it on anyway, especially at the airport. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it's, I mean, even even in terms of, not, not just, uh, like, government bureaucracy, I mean, this is, the private corporations are... Mm-hmm. Are just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. And um, you know, they have this. Um, all of them now. Um, we're recording this conversation for quality control. I mean, yeah. there is there is no quality. So uh, no. It's, there's a lot of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I had one instance where I bought something from a, a store. I think it was a bed, and there was a piece missing. Mm-hmm. Of this bed, and I went, I went back. And there was two two pieces the same, and there was one that should have been different. So I took the piece back that was. That was the wrong one, and I said, "This, I said, this must have come out of another box, you know." So obviously, somebody's going to come back and say this is the wrong piece, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so I need to replace it. Blah blah blah. I went through the whole rigmarole, but I'd phoned them up previously and I recorded the call, uh-huh. and uh, I said I was also told that I would get a refund for the fuel that it's cost me to come and get this, uh-huh. you know, because I have no bed. I have to come and get this piece and get it done because you said it would two weeks to deliver it, so I, I can't wait. And uh, she said, "Oh, we don't do that," and I said, "Well." I know you record your phone calls. I says, so do I. And I says, and I, I can guarantee you it was said on the phone if you want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And immediately, oh, oh, that's no problem, sir. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, as you say, going back to what you said about India, they'll just say anything oh, to, to get you off the phone or mm-hmm. basically leave you hanging on the phone listening to that awful music that mm-hmm. they play and you just get fed up and put the phone down. And that's, yeah. that's, that's judged as a, a success, I guess. 
for them because mm-hmm. yeah. they haven't had to do anything. <laughs> exactly, they've saved money. Yeah. yeah, but it's cost you all the all the money, especially irksome uh, like yourself when you're trying to phone a phone company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're paying for the call, mm-hmm. and then they put that on your bill. I know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, leaving you hanging on, and um, and all that stuff that they put on at the start of the message. If you want this, press one. If you want this, but and oh, you're on there yeah. for three or four minutes before you actually get anywhere. Yes. And you've paid for that, of course, at mm-hmm. premium rates normally. So, uh, it's it's just quite bizarre. And as you say, speaking to some of these people, not not the the ones in India, but just it's people speaking your own language. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there is a total disconnect. Yeah. between what you're trying to get across and what they're trying to get across to you. Mm-hmm. And as, as you say, they don't care. But it's more than that. It's it's ingrained in them mm-hmm. just to mess you around. Well, well, the thing is, too, in big corporations especially, this was all, it's all gone as massive big corporations or chain stores and so on, they're, they're, they are like almost like they have the same mentality as government employees. They're pretty safe in their jobs, um, and, and they're guaranteed to work. Because literally, as monopolies take over and swallow everybody else, uh, there's nothing left but monopolies, and they're guaranteed the, 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 the turnover and so on, because there's nothing else to compete with them. And, and that's part of the problem. Again, in the old Soviet system, you had that uh, for years in the Soviet system, from the 70s, at least maybe the 60s onwards, where if, if a relative went into the hospital, you had to bribe the staff to, to change the, the linens. You had to even bring the linen in and, um, and, and change the soil linen and so on for if your mother was dying or whatever. And you folk had to do that. And uh, everything was bribery, bribery, bribery. And one of them, in fact, this guy uh, bought the, 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 the ward's sister. This was in uh, communist Poland at the time. He, he bought her a refrigerator to make sure that she would tell the staff to take care of his, of his mum. And um, and that's how you do things over there. That's, that's how bad it gets to. Because there's no incentive when, you, when you're guaranteed work and so on, and you're the only monopoly in the country. There's no incentive to, to put anything into. There's no competition between staff or anything else to do a good job. Uh, and people lose any personal incentive they have because... Uh, it's so mundane and boring to them. They're guaranteed work. There's nothing behind them pushing them. Um, everything falls apart in the end. And you see this also when you walk into, a, say, a Walmart store or a build-all center. Every every scatters when you walk up to them tr- to try to get a question answered. You see them running away. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to be bothered having to try to find something for you. That's what you found in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's funny you mentioned that. I was uh, in a DIY store here, and uh, I was trying to find something. You know. And uh, I explained what I wanted, uh, mm-hmm. you know, well enough uh, to this guy. And he said, I, I, I can't understand you, sir. I'll get this other gentleman. And it was an Indian gentleman who, who yeah. came over eventually, and he understood what I said. Mm-hmm. But um, he didn't even know what it was. And I thought, well, hold on. It must be next to this, such and such thing. And there it was on the shelf. They, I yeah. mean, they don't even have a clue. They don't. They don't. And they also turn over staff so quickly. They don't want to keep them there because they don't want to pay pensions and so on. And so they turn over the staff pretty, pretty frequently. So no one gets to know the, the items, and the young younger folk there have no incentive at all. They don't. There's nothing to keep them there, or, or uh, if they can get another dollar at McDonald's, they're going to leave for McDonald's. So they don't know anything about what's where or anything. Else. They have no interest at all in the job that they're doing. So they don't learn anything. Yeah, that's the same as government too, though. Government the bureaucracies are the same thing, same way. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
again, going back to Eastern Europe, uh, it's still kind of common practice over there to get pulled over by the police for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll find a reason to say, well, you know, uh, you can you can pay us this money or you can go to the police station and you'll be there all day yeah. kind of thing. And uh, that's happened to me on a number of occasions. And uh, fortunately, I've only had to actually pay them once uh, when mm-hmm. it was uh, pitch black. I was pulled over the side of the road and it was actually my own fault because my tax disc was out of date by two days and mm-hmm. I just forgot to replace it. Um, but but that, that cost me... Uh, 20 or 10 euro or something like that but uh, that's yeah. the only time I had to do it but it was uh, it was better than going back into Sofia City Centre and spending the night there yeah. but um, at least you know where you stand with them put it that way and, and, they, and they live off bribery too uh, or, you know those countries they, uh, it's quite common to just hand it's just like Mexico you just hand the cops a, a few bucks and that's it you know yeah. well um, as I say at least you know where you stand but um, in terms of uh, the UK um, America I mean I've, I've heard stories about Drivers been pulled over uh, down Texas Mexico border that area and, and getting their cash and that taken off them. I mean, are we, are we going? Is it going to get that bad? Oh yeah, you understand. Here's the thing that people don't understand at all: the the big institutions that ran. I always take for an example that the prime organisation that it came to be known as the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private club of the top bankers in London and the movers and shakers uh, that literally um, put their own members into politics, into high bureaucratic positions, uh, into the war office, uh, and so on, and Department of Foreign Relations. So they ran the whole empire. This private club ran the whole empire. They still do. Every top politician in Britain of every party is a member of it. You have to be asked to be a member. You can't just join it. And once you're into it, uh, you keep the same system going regardless of what party name you you, you go under. It doesn't make any difference. That's why nothing changes. And they they planned out the whole future of altering culture and so on. They used the technocracy means, and it's a a system technocracy for those who don't know it, uh, of running people from birth to death, expanding bureaucracies like cancers within government. And then interlacing them with private international, big corporations, uh, until the whole structure is one autonomous unit, unit basically, private and public. So you've heard about public-private enterprise. This is another slanted term for what they mean by technocratic control of everything. Until you, you as a citizen can't do a damn thing uh, without permission. You'll all have the same brainwashing at school, and I mean brainwashing. They were quite adamant that they would. The, the, the technocracy means social engineering for those who don't know it. With with psychologists, behaviorists, and, and neuroscientists constantly influencing you, either directly through through indoctrination, which is another term for uh, for uh, education, or through all the the, the, the information around you, uh, from movies, um, newscasts, and so on. That's all part of it. Total persuasion. And, and creating cons- consent by the masses. And that's why we go along with everything and to bring in the seamless system of control worldwide. And that's what the whole globalist free trade idea was about too, still is. It's one, one system of interlacing the same system worldwide, creating the, the big trading blocks. And they were about this in the early 1900s, by the way, the same organization. Um, big trading blocks, uh, and they wanted one for the whole of, of the Europe but they would need world wars, they said, to make it happen. And so they worked fervently for world wars. They, they financed Hitler. They financed the Bolshevik Revolution. And Anthony Sutton did fantastic work on that, you know, of digging all that up. 
And you find that uh, every major war and so on, they've been behind and they have financed. But they wanted a United Americas. They came out openly on the Canadian television here under their Canadian branch and the American branch, Council on Foreign Relations. That's the term they use here. And uh, Lloyd Axworthy, who was the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, was now speaking on behalf of the CFR for America, Canada, and Mexico. And he said, we're integrating the whole bloc, the same as Europe exactly the same as Europe with the parliament, you know. And they were to do the same with the far Pacific region with the Asian Pacific Rim. And so you have three major trading blocks and their their governments would all become provincial governments, like minor governments under a main government, one for Europe, one for the Americas, one for Eastern Pacific, uh, Far Eastern Pacific region. And then they would be under a global parliamentary system. This is a very old idea, and these guys have worked for well over a hundred years to make it happen. And in the process, they would take away all. They, they claimed that all problems in the world stem from individualism. The individual um, who might not want to go along with the herd on this particular topic or that topic, or wants to go their, their own way and be left alone. No, you're not to be allowed to go on your own way and be left alone and make your own decisions. The system is to control every single individual on the planet from birth to death. That's what Gerfec is about in Scotland, for instance. They've got the same system in England under a different name, another one for, for America, the US, and so on. And mental health is now brought in man, in a mandatory fashion uh, where everyone get, must get monitored from birth on their opinions, their views, and so on. And you get re-educated or readjusted if you have the wrong opinions, even as a three-year-old child. That's, in, that's happening now. It's, in, it's a law now in Britain and in, in Scotland. So uh, you're, you're in a constant training from birth to death to adapt in the proper f- uh, format, pre-designed format of adaptation that they've laid out for you. And any deviancy from that, and you will be like uh, Tussle or, or Bustle in uh, the, the movie Brazil. You'll simply be disappeared if they can't readjust you. We're pretty well there, actually, yeah. You, know, you started off talking about SWAT teams at your place, and of course that's the, the first scene in the movie is the SWAT teams coming through his windows and uh, yeah. taking them away for a simple spelling mistake on the typewriter because a fly drops in it or something. It put a B instead of a T or something, or a T instead of a B. And, uh, but that's, that's it. In other words, you, you don't count, you see, as an ordinary, ordinary individual. You're irrelevant, yeah. And, and that is a system. And, and you understand a lot of it works in a subliminal way, a subconscious way in a sense, through all the movies and everything else, the messages comes across, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. Uh, you're nobody, the individual is nobody, nobody, nobody. Um, and that does pervade society and, and trains them that you are nobody. You, you don't have any rights, really. And uh, you can't have any rights unless you belong to a big big group, like an, an authorized non-governmental organization or pressure group or something. Without that, you're nothing. And, and that is permeating society, and that's why you see a lot of young folk now with uh, these dead eyes. The, 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 the fire's gone in them pretty early on, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's funny, talking about um, call centres, um, tra- traditionally it's always been kind of Indian. I mean, I, I've never actually called up and spoken to a Chinese call centre. I, I wonder no. when they'll come along. <laughs> no, they, they actually have apparently one opened up now in the Philippines for the US for one of the phone companies. Because they have, a, they said they have more of a, an American type humor, and I guess the, the their accent isn't so bad; it's more understandable. 
Um, some of them are trying that, but the, the bulk of them are in India because uh, they're so cheap and uh, uh, and the big corporations are... Again, see, the big corporations, when they move, like Bell Telephone and so on, uh, they get our government subsidies, our, our tax money, fund, helps fund the, them to set up the projects abroad. Every big corporation that manages us and controls us and profits from us is, is living on big corporate, a big uh, welfare system, really, corporate welfare, paid for by the taxpayer. Yeah, I did see a, a TV program uh, quite a number of years ago on how they trained these guys and, and women at these call centres, and they were Indian in that example, and uh-huh. they give them all English names, uh, and they, they teach yeah. them to speak in this very, well, they try to teach them to speak in this very flat accent, in, instead of um, kind of allowing them to, to learn an English accent of their own, uh, which probably uh-huh. makes it harder for them. Mm-hmm. But if they're all to speak with the same accent when they're all from different regions of India, for a start, yeah. and yeah. speaking different languages, yeah. uh, different dialects. Um, and that, that, I mean, that's, that's something I've, I noticed. You, you phone up a call centre, and you get some, in, some Indian guy or woman on the phone, and, you know, you, they're very pleasant, and you can, you, you can generally understand what they're saying. And then you'll phone back and get somebody completely different, and they may as well be talking uh, Gujarati, because you have no idea what they're saying. None at all. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the Chinese cross. I, I wondered if, um, in terms of the, the cultures of these countries, mm-hmm. um, obviously there's kind of an, an endemic corruption when you have the caste system and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's how long do you think it'll take before they're totally adapted to the Western way? Uh, well, they'll adapt. They've already they're already doing it big time to the Western way with uh, with small business in India. India are not, they're not manu- they've never been manufacturers. Uh, they've always been into small merchants, merchandising and so on. And kind of like China in a sense, is one of its biggest er- exports for a long time now has been people. And uh, people all, we forget that India has one of the largest middle classes in the world. You, you never think about that because it's, so, it's got the second largest population on the planet. We all see the poverty in the documentaries and so on, but you don't realize there's also a massive middle class in India. Massive. And they have a good education. Uh, they, are, they generally all flood out, and they have been doing it for, since about the 50s or 60s into Europe and, and the West. And um, so they export lots of people. And, um, and so there's a, they definitely have a big tie uh, w- with Europe, especially Britain now. And... Um, uh, and they also uh, arrange marriages across the world. They, they're a very ethnocentric group. You know, also folk are, in certain countries are very ethnocentric by tradition. Um, but within the, India itself, with the caste system, you have uh, a, it's a class system. It's, it's, it's a ingrained caste. It's very hard even to get the lower uh, castes to try and move, I mean, technically it's impossible within India for a lower caste to move up one. It's not allowed, it's taboo. And um, I don't know if you'll ever break that inside India um, at all. I really don't know if you will. Um, They've done very good documentaries about India and the caste system. And you'll actually see, interview people, uh, and some of them, where someone of a lower caste is eventually attacked by some of the, the Brahmin henchmen for, for being too uppity or demanding too much. And they cut off their arms and everything. Still to this day, the police don't touch them. It's such a powerful institution. But uh, it's also ingrained in the lower caste too to, to sort of mind their place. And I always say that's why the, the elite of Britain got on so well when they ran India. They had a lot in common. 
uh, with, with the Brahmin caste system. So I think it'd be very difficult to break that habit. But they're small merchandisers in a sense. They're not so much into uh, managing huge corporations. And it's generally within the families. They'll trade within the families so they can always get things linens and so on and make the garments in a different country by other relatives and so on. That's how they generally operate. Uh, but they make very good bureaucrats, by the way. That's why when they're brought into Britain, they, they often get preferential treatment and put right into to bureaucratic positions. Uh, and they'll go by the book again. There's no real um, affinity with the people, the public, the general public beneath them. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's very similar in the the uh, Islamic community and and uh, where I was Luton, where yeah. I, I stayed, I used to go down there and, and you know buy the vegetables and stuff from them because they were generally a lot better. But uh-huh. uh, they stuck a, a Sainsbury's right at the end of a street, which is uh, well known to be the second. I think it's the second largest um, concentration of individually owned Br- um, businesses in Britain. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they were all individual. There was none of the high street shops there, nothing whatsoever apart from this big Sainsbury's stuck at one end of it. And obviously that was a, a an attempt to move in and uh, you know take some of the business away for these guys and shut some of them down, mm-hmm. but um, and you know some of the some of the Asian folk were going in there uh, surprisingly and, and buying the vegetables off the shelf. I just I, I couldn't understand it, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, it's certainly an attempt to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean these guys have got their own their whole system is is family oriented and it, that's Absolutely. that's what they do. And they, they... China's the same way when China when they move out of China. Uh, the family unit is is, is, is is there's nothing. That's it. That's the pinnacle. They obey government because they have to because they, they obey power and they're, they're frightened of power. Uh, but uh, they're, they, the family and the extended family is like a clan. It's like a tribe, and uh, it's incredibly strong. And they don't intermarry amongst it and so on. Wealth moves in, in between it, and, and when you get married too, a lot of wealth goes into it. It's, it's big business deals when, when folk get married. So, yeah, they're very ethnocentric based, and um, and amongst themselves they work awfully, awfully well. Yeah, yeah. I did hear in, in Luton that uh, many of the the car people who owned cars uh, didn't pay insurance or anything, like that, and that was kind of just uh, the police just turned a blind eye to it because there was too many powerful people in the community and um, getting too many votes for the local politicians. Yes. Um, so, so that's that's certainly going on there, and I, again, that's that's just something they probably brought over from their own culture anyway. Where they didn't have cartoons. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. You understand too. This whole idea of multiculturalism is fine in, in Fairyland and in, in some Disney pro, uh, movie or something, uh, but but cultures are different. They're very, very, very different. Uh, their histories are different. Their historical um, systems are completely different too. And but the, uh, those who have the, the incredibly strong extended family intermarriage and so on, um, as I say, are very ethnocentric. They'll 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 mix with other and work with other of their own kind of groups, even outside their family, uh, but within the same um, uh, cultural base. Uh, sort of, uh, but outsiders that they're wary of and uh, and they won't integrate the same way. No, I mean Chinatowns have been in the Western world now since they were brought over to create the railroads and so on, and and that's what they create is Chinatowns, and they still are very ethnocentric based as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, in terms of the that street with the Asian shop, shopkeepers, as you say, they can they can trade amongst themselves and get whatever they need. You know, there's yeah. clothes shops there, there's jewelry, there's food, there's you know whatever. Um, but but they still have to deal with the the corporations for their electricity and stuff like that. But um, I'm sure they're not as frustrated as uh, the ordinary 
<laughs> local local resident who's been there for 50 years no, um, no, just trying to get on, you know. Like we are talking earlier there about the sort of black market, they have their own black market system too uh, of getting things done because they don't go by applying for, for permits and so on. They have their own guys that will come in and do certain things as well. And, and they, they don't go by the laws of your country. It's, it, it seems a foreign concept to them to go by laws because they don't go by their own homeland by laws. And, uh, and they're, they aren't going to change for years, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I did notice um, there was always a, a long queue at the ATM machines. But um, every, everywhere they went, they, they paid cash. They didn't mm-hmm. use cards to pay for anything. They only yeah. took it out of the bank, so obviously nobody knows what they were spending it on either. Well, they don't trust banks either. They've got that right. You know, they, they do not trust banks. They, they, they prefer to have it in, in hard assets because they know that banks fail. They've failed in India before in their history. They've been conned in India many times, and they don't trust them at all. Yeah, yeah I suppose uh, that's, that's all part of the, um, the cashless society, the move towards that. I mean, what, what do you see happening when that kind of takes hold a bit more firmly within these communities where, you know, they've got to use cards and stuff like that. I mean, you mentioned the black market. I mean, it's obviously, it'll just get bigger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, even even in the, in the electronic uh, media, there's already many, many scams. Look, the Soviets came out with an offer. The ex-Soviets came out with a lot of systems of, of scamming and getting bypassing uh, uh, and, and, and still using electronic cash that was not recorded, etc., etc. So, um these things will really improve, and it'll cost you, of course, to get to access to the guys that do it, if you if you want business by them. But um, see, the big boys who planned this world system, they're, they're, they've never been in an incredible hurry. They have a business plan. They, when they work out the, the world in centuries, when you go back into their writings, of how we alter the culture gradually, 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 every generation. Uh, uh, until you have you, th- th- this completed their five-year plans, 10, 15, 50-year plans, 100-year plans and uh, for different aspects of the same system. And they're awfully good. Uh, they're, they're pretty well dead on. Uh, right down to even the wars that they say they'll have to do. They have it kind of planned out in the general time period when they want to start them uh, to take over resources, etc. But the, the, for, as far as the multicultural thing goes, they've been having world meetings on, on multiculturalism since about the 19, early early 30s anyway, with the British Empire groups. I've got some of their old books here from the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Rockefeller Foundation actually funded uh, the printing of the books because they were part of it for the US and the CFR. And they talked about the timetable of integrating India into Britain and the Western world. And the spokespeople from the 1937 or 38 meeting in Melbourne, Australia, the world meeting, the spokesmen from India, members from India, said, when, when are we be allowed to, to freely move amongst the, the, the empire nations? And the answer came back that it wasn't quite right yet. They hadn't worked on the British public enough yet before they'd, allow, they'd accept uh, completely different cultural uh, ethnic groups into Britain yet. But maybe in the 1960s, uh, it would be okay to start bringing them in then. So 30 years before they started bringing them in, they discussed it at, at that one meeting in, and probably subsequent ones as well. But uh, so they worked a timetable, and when it comes to, to, to accepting them into the culture, uh, lots of propaganda is used naturally, uh, and even through drama and TV and the BBC and so on, uh, until the folks start to accept it, and lots of uh, conditioning at school. Um, and they're given, they're, they're given leeway, as, as, as you've mentioned already, not to go along with your laws or to pretend they don't know, understand them, and, and so on, and they're not fined and charged and so on. 
Uh, and that will go on again for maybe another 20, 30 years. Uh, and they hope by that time that they'll have conditioned the offspring enough of these groups to accept the system. So given time, they believe they can achieve anything they want. Yeah, there's a, a funny story of a friend of mine up in uh, Norfolk uh, from back in the 70s. There was, a, there was apparently some African gentleman that committed some burglary or something, or I don't know, an assault or something like that. And it was, it was so rare to have um, somebody of African origin in Norfolk that they had, to, they had to find a white guy and blacken up his face to do the reenactment for, oh, for Crime Watch. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that was, that was in the 70s. So, I mean, you know, it's not taken that long to, to totally immerse the south of England in, in other cultures. And I, I, was, I was talking to, I can't remember if it was Aaron Francis or uh, somebody like that, um, on the... And the fact that what they've done now with bringing in the Eastern Europeans is there's, there's no distinct group to point at anymore because uh-huh. the foreigners are from everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you can't say. Uh, I mean, if, if the point, if everybody was from Africa, mm-hmm. you'd notice it. Yeah. You know. Um, but as it is, I mean, even walking down the streets, that all the shop names are are in Polish or or whatever, uh-huh. in a lot of these places, but it still doesn't register with most people that they're foreigners because they're the same colour as you. Yeah, that, that's right. That's, that's it. That's part of it. And again, too, even even all of that sections of integration of those countries into the, this, this, this free movement of labour and, and people and so on across the world, that's part of the free trade agreements, um, discussed that copiously on how it long it would take different groups to, to integrate and be accepted by the, the domestic population until there was no longer a domestic population that would even notice it because they'd, they'd all be such a mix and so on. And they also said, that's why they keep incredible statistics. They really run on, on statistics, uh, these big groups, uh, and of population, how many, children, how many children are born from the, the domestic groups and so on. And they actually cheer. It's in the newspapers when they'll say that the, the immigrant population now is is, is overtaken, the, the domestic population, and so on. It's like a big party time. Like, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing that you're now in the demise? And you, you know, um, so they want to really destroy the domestic populations because they know who, who in the past through revolutions and so on has given them more trouble. And it's been uh, not the, the guys they're bringing in from abroad, it's the, the ones that were domestic populations in, in, uh, in Europe that caused them most problems down through history. Yeah. Now, we'll take Poland for example. I mean, so many Poles have uh, emigrated to Europe, uh, well, Western Europe, um, since uh, you know, they got in the EU. And the, the problem there now, I mean, we talked about not getting things done. Uh, in, in Britain or America or Canada, whatever. But in Poland, the, the problem's gone way beyond that, where they, they can't even have, they've not even got the skilled people there anymore to do no. the jobs because they've all left. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, what's to become of a country like that? I mean, how how backward does it have to get before people say enough's enough? Uh, they'll go all the way until it's literally beyond even third world status. Uh, they want vast areas to be left alone, and they want the folk off them. Remember the the, the future of the world. System, they're not finished even in America or, or, or Britain for that matter. Uh, remember the, the, the report put up by the Department of Defense think tank for Britain and the NATO countries, uh, the projections up to the year 2050. I came out in 2008 and I put it up on my website, in fact. 
and um, it's 90 pages, and they go through the predictions that they want to create eventually, when they've got all this integration of so on, of the countries flowing, of people's back and forth freely. Um, they want to have large vacant areas in the world, and they want to create city-states, like super city-states, and no one will live outside those super city-states, even named quite a few of them that they hoped to create. Uh, but you won't have all the cities throughout the U.S. that you have today. Uh, and within the next 20, 30 years, they hope to have that all accomplished. And through the regulations of making it impossible to live in rural areas, or even a lot of the suburbs, they'll, they'll, they'll force folk to, to move into the, the inner cities that have to be built upwards and upwards, like China and Hong Kong, um, until everyone's crammed into these city-states. But vast regions outside that of expanses of, of uh, empty land, basically. Then the big super agribusinesses, not small farmers, but super agribusinesses, uh, will be doing all the farming, um, corporate farming, uh, for foodstuffs and so on. But you're not be allowed to, to live outside on the rural areas unless you're essential to it, own, and that's the only reason you'll be exempted from it. You must be essential. Your, your work must be essential. Yeah. That's under Agenda 21, too. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the corporations and the people who are involved in, say, the, say the UN, like uh, Virginia Petrowney, uh, the head of the IPCC, I mean, it's just it's just openly what, blatant corruption. I mean, this this guy is involved in Tata, the the I think it's car manufacturer, is it? And the I can't remember the name of the steel company, but he's he's involved in all that stuff, shipping out the, the factories from someone from Britain, I believe, went to India. Yeah. And uh, as you said earlier, uh, the British taxpayer paid for that, uh-huh. and he, he makes in all the profits for it. And yet he's supposed to be the head of the IPCC um, going on about global warming. Uh-huh. Uh, the corruption's just blatant now. But they don't oh, even oh, care. Oh, yeah. just like the Soviet system. But you, but you understand, they, they can't help it. In India, there's, nothing, there's no shame in showing how powerfully corrupt you are if you're wealthy. Uh, that's a status symbol over there. Uh, remember, at one time, that was a status symbol in New York City with the gangsters. And um, uh, again, cultures are very different in how they show wealth and so on. Uh, in the British system, for instance, the big top bankers in the city of London that have run it for these intergenerational families and so on um, are very quiet about it, different different way of, of uh, handling it all. And so they, they have this era of respectability about them, although it's all a sham but, and, and well-masked and so on, and well-managed to be masked, um, it's still a sham. But uh, in some of the other countries, they have no problem in showing off incredible wealth, even in times of dire poverty for the rest of them. Um, so uh, Pachuri, for instance, he gets massive grants from the West uh, to the United Nations, uh, and again, he funds his own private projects, even the coal industry and so on, with all our, all our tax money uh, and his private businesses. So it's blatant corruption, yeah. But believe you me, all the rest of them, the big corporations that we, we know as American-created uh, corporations, but they're international comp- companies, they're just as corrupt, but they have the ill respectability to try and hide it, uh, their, their corruption more so than they do in India. Yeah, well, they've kind of gone that way in Ireland, um, from my experience over there, uh, where, you know, if you can get away with something, do it. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter yeah. who corrupt it is, and you're seen as, uh, you know, f- oh, fair play to you. You know, fair play to you. You got yeah. away with that one. You got one over on the man kind of thing, <laughs> when, uh-huh. when, of course, they're all involved with the man. Uh, yeah. they haven't got, uh, they've got one over on the people, nobody else. That's but right. um, people can't seem to see it. I, I don't know. Is, is it because it's, it's, so, it's so blatantly obvious that people just think, well, this is normal? 
uh, it's I think people know, and here's a, a there've been tremendous studies done on the different cultures. In fact, some of the big think tanks that the elite set up and and run to study all of us. Um, have done incredible studies not all of us, and they'll say things about all of us, like this this group or the British group, or the, that they'd never dare say in public um, because of the backlash they'd get. But they have us all analysed, and some of the things I've been talking about tonight, they've analysed all of that in greater detail. I've got some of the, the stuff here from insiders, by the way. It's incredible. And um, they, they know uh, that as they destroy what used to be, say, the base morality of, of the people, uh, the basic system, even if it was a religious system, or even if it was a, a, a cultural religious system where they didn't actually believe that much, but they still had the, 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 the you don't do this and you don't do that because it destroys us, you know, and individuals and so on, and hurts other people. That's all out the window as to get rid of all the religions. In the Soviet system, you, you see, or the ex-Soviet system, you see that the result of, of 80 years of, of abolishing religion and conditioning the children generation after generation to absolutely hate it uh, and until you have this uh, completely humanistic idea uh, that if you can do something get away with it there's nothing wrong nothing wrong in it at all in fact the people will worship you and in a moneyed system where everyone's terrified of being poor then if you get up there by any means possible just at the gangsters of new york then the people will actually admire you because they envy where you've got to. You've had the gall to do it, and you're still alive, and you're, you can show off your wealth and so on. And so you actually admire the crook, you see. You actually admire the crooks. It's a reversal of the old culture, uh, and that's where all the Western culture now is going, thanks to Hollywood and so on. I was putting out these movies about the con men and how great they are and so on. Um, people now in an atheistic society will inevitably become more corrupt uh, and they, they admire the high winner, the, the guy who gets to the very top. Don't forget, as I say, that, that the West is much, has been much better at hiding the start of power structures than most cultures have had longer to work at it. And all power starts with a family is big enough to go and slaughter their family next to them until eventually down the road to become king. And then they, they they come up to a system where they're going to create a form of democracy, which is a sham front for the public to believe in, so there's no more revolutions. But they'd always run it behind the scenes, the big powerful families. Uh, so you're really looking at gangsterism that's always been hidden, well hidden, uh, but at a time when the public themselves had a religion, or at least human values from religion, that they all shared, even if they didn't believe in it themselves. But they all shared the same cultural values, which kept society for the mass people uh, working pretty well. They wouldn't go around kill, killing each other or mugging each other. But you take it all away, and the sky, there's nothing, there's no rules anymore. Uh, if you can get to the top by any means possible, and all the whole culture's like that, then the one that gets to the top is going to be worshipped by all the rest of the people who haven't got there yet. Yeah, I mean, using Bulgaria as an example, you mentioned the cities and the countryside and the, the differences there. In, in the city, the local city there, people are more inclined to go along with the corruption and, you know, just kind of think, okay, well, whatever. Uh, the people in the in the villages, although they know all the politicians are corrupt, uh, they don't buy the newspapers in the villages. Mm-hmm. And a lot, well, a lot of that's because they don't have the money, but they, they know they're all propaganda. Yeah. Um, they know the police are corrupt. They know the score. If they get stopped, they've got to pay them, and, and that's the end of it. And, um, you know, it, You've mentioned many times before that people adapt to the most adaptable people, you know, adaptable creatures on Earth, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I find that myself. I, 
win them over, then I have to adapt to that system. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise you're in serious trouble. Yeah. You know, as, as I said, I mentioned earlier, I had to pay the police that one time. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the consequences of not doing it were going to be far worse. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. That, that's that's what you, that's the bottom line. You said that's the way it is, and and you as one guy cannot change it because that is the system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you can't change it on a pitch dark road with two two police officers with guns on their hips and, and, and you pulled over uh, yeah. in the dark, you know. And, and they can, if you refuse to, to pay the bribe or whatever, um, they'll simply have your your, 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 your your visa revoked or whatever and, and send you home, you know. I was kind of fortunate. I had a, I had a 20 lev note in my pocket and a 50, and I knew that's mm. all I had. Yeah. And uh, they were asking for, I think it was um, 150 lev or something. And I said, look, I've only got 20 lev in my pocket. I need, you know, I need money for fuel to get yeah. to get to where I'm going. And I just stuck my hand in my pocket and uh, thankfully I brought out the right note and they were happy yeah. enough for that. But, uh, you know, yeah. that's yeah. just the way it is. You see, here's the thing too. Uh, if you're an ordinary person, an average person, uh, and I've, I've done a fair bit of traveling and, and even going across Africa, um, uh, guys, older guys would, would say, "Oh, you haven't done this, but oh," and they'd show you a whole bunch of watches. Now they buy a whole bunch of watches and have them in both arms before they left because everywhere you go to show your passports as you cross each little country, um, that's your bribes, you know. And, and if, if you go cash, they're going to take the whole lot off you and 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 uh, maybe even kill you to, and get rid of you. You you are the evidence that you've been robbed, so they kill, kill you and there's no more evidence. Uh, so but if you, you have, also have watches not to bribe your way along. The big boys who run this world have their own private jets, and they, they just simply travel from their own private airports. They don't have any uh, customs and so on to go through to other ones that are selected for them abroad in all these other countries. They don't even you understand. They are a different class, and, and as Bertrand Russell said, who believe and helped push this whole system and design it. Uh, he, he said uh, there will eventually be a different species. Their reality will be so utterly alien from the rest of the peoples beneath them that you couldn't, they couldn't even relate to one another. We, we have passed that long ago. Yeah. Okay, Alan, we've uh, gone slightly over time. Um, thanks again for, for joining us, and we'll have you back again next month for another topic and a load of uh, tangents, I guess. Um, yeah. Just stay on the line a second, and uh, we'll talk to you after the break. Sure enough. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks.